This is um, Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly friendly welcome to the spies. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. First, I'm not going to attempt to, to get my slides, so if you would, thank you very much. I see you got some good help back there. Um, yeah, keep her awake, Catherine, keep her awake. Okay, all right. <clears throat> I am so thankful to God um, for Hebrews 11. Hebrews, I don't know if you've... As we've traveled through this book, I don't know if you've kind of felt just, man, there's a, there's a lot of weightiness to this book. And there's a lot of great, rich, deep theology in this book. Beautiful imagery. I mean, Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. I mean, it's just all throughout the Hebrews. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than, than Moses. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than the Levitical priesthood. His priesthood's the better priesthood. He's the greatest sacrifice. He's greater, he's greater than any sacrifice that has ever been offered before. I mean, Jesus is the greatest. He's the greatest priest. He doesn't have to offer sacrifices for, him sin, for him, his own sin and then others. He's the sinless high priest. He's the one who never, ever, ever has to be replaced. I mean, all this beautiful theology, we're learning all about this. But Hebrews 11 brings it to this point to say, guess what? If you say you understand this, but it hasn't changed how you're living, you've missed the point completely. You've missed the boat. Hebrews is not an academic exercise in knowledge. It is an an exercise and radical transformation of the heart. And how do we know this? Because here the author of Hebrews is saying, I'm going to dedicate a whole chapter to individuals whose lives have been changed by the truth of what has been said. And last week, I don't know if you caught it, what book of the Bible was the author of Hebrews covering and what we covered last week? Genesis. Genesis. Exactly. We stopped right at the end of life of Joseph, right? And Joseph dies, and boom, Genesis is over. And then we move into the book of Exodus. And so Exodus and Joshua are going to be covered by these next few examples of by faith. Last week, we saw a lot of individuals impacted. This week, we're going to see some more individuals impacted, but there's going to be some really significant differences in the last two by faiths. And we're going to look at those in a moment. But we're continuing this journey by faith because these people believed in God and who he said he was, that these people didn't see God, didn't see the promises of God fulfilled. They believed anyway. And they had faith that changed how they lived anyway. Well, this first by faith this morning that we're starting at is in verse 23. And if you don't have your Bibles open, highly encourage you to open them up and read along with us. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and were not afraid of the king's edict. I am so enjoying 
our time together in a sermon chat group because we get together and we have wrestled through these, these ones each individually, each of these by face. Last week's sermon chat was about three hours. I think we went almost three and a half this week um, because we were really wrestling with why. Why is this by faith here? What is being said? And not just for the audience back then, what is the challenge for us today by the way this person's life was changed by faith? Well, now we're shifting to Moses. But Hebrews 11.23 isn't about Moses. Who's it about? His parents. His parents. Don't miss this. Amram and Jochebed. Amram and Jochebed, that's the parents of Moses. This is about their faith. Their faith gave Aaron, Miriam, and Moses a firm foundation of faith. These were, this was a special husband and wife team. Take a moment and think about it. If you, if you know the story of Moses and Aram and Miriam, these were three individuals that were leaders in the kingdom of Israel. They were the leaders for the kingdom of Israel. All three of them were vital. How? How did this begin? Well, they had faith, but their faith was also founded in a firm foundation that their parents had girded for them. And look at what mom does. Now, we, we live in a world where it, it's seatbelt conscious and child seat safety conscious and all that good stuff. And those are good things. But what has it, it's done is, I mean, you know, bike helmets and ski helmets and all good things, right? But we've just raised this level of safety consciousness to almost a ridiculous point of reference. And in my book, we're raising some of the weakest men and women in the future of America. And I'm kind of worried for America. Because we're, as parents, it's not the kids. As parents, we're so filled with fear. We're so scared for our kids. Well, what if our kids doesn't go to the right school? And what if he gets an F on this test? Or what if she can't pass science? Or what if, right, right? Like if any of you had Einz Bars class for eighth grade math or eighth grade science, right? Eighth grade, yeah, yeah, I can see some hands. There's pain, there's pain associated with that class. Absolutely. Tough class, right? But guess what? She's going to college, right? And did you get an A in Einz Bars science class? Got a C, she's in college. There's hope, parents. There's hope, okay? Hang tough. There's hope, okay? I'm serious, but we get really worked up. Here's a great example of what it looks like to have faith in God more than you fear the future for your kids. The king had issued an edict. Kill those infant babies. And they feared God. The parents feared God. The parents desired to be obedient to God, to show their faith in God more than they feared the king's command. More than they feared men. And so they took this small child and they weaved together this basket and put, lined it with pitch so it wouldn't sink. And they sent their baby floating down a river with crocodiles and other species, not knowing what would happen. All they knew is God had a plan for this kid. And death wasn't it. That's courageous. Parents, grandparents, your kids and grandkids need to see that kind of courage. They need to see you being courageous leaders, spiritual leaders in your homes. And they need to see that you... See that our kids, my kids, they're not mine. They belong to God. And if God calls them to do something hard, then that's what's best for them and best for me and best for the body as a whole. Because that's our good God. When we say he's a good father, that's what we mean. He has the best intentions, way better than we ever could for our kids. And we need to live that out for our kids to see. 
We need to put that on display. And and we can be hopeful that as we put this courage on display, we're going to have fear and we're going to have to surrender that to God. And our kids need to see that as well. But we need to continue to say, you know what? I want what God wants for you more than I want to control and what I think is best for you. You know, I've mentioned about football. I just saying I want to go on and play football in college. Lord, have mercy. Have you seen what happens to those kids playing college football? But I know if that's what God's calling him to go do, then he better go do it. Because to disobey God is way worse than anything that could ever happen to him on that football field. Anything. Because to disobey God is the worst thing. And look what is the result. As a result, don't miss it, God's work, but working through parents, giving their kids a firm foundation of faith, you see three individuals rise up that will lead the nation of Israel. And will not only lead them, but will do some just marvelous, brave acts themselves in their leadership. The next by faith that we see here is by faith Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, rather than choosing to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded abuse suffered for Christ to be greater wealth than treasures of Egypt, for his eyes were fixed upon the reward. Don't miss that last line. By faith, he suffered well, chose to be mistreated because his eyes were fixed, not on here, but what was to come. The reward that was to be given by God. That's where his gaze was fixed. And so he didn't need the wealth and the possessions. Let me tell you something. What he was throwing away is significant. By choosing not to be, I mean, he could have been like in line to be one of the most powerful people in all of Egypt. Wealth, more than he could ever have spent in a lifetime, every meal taken care of, like he would have had the best of the best. And Moses says, that's not my reward. My reward is not palaces, money, food. My reward is Jesus. My reward is what God has for me. And so if that means being mistreated and suffering, I choose that over what I see and can have now. By faith, he fixed his eyes on our greater reward. What does that look like for us? Where's our gaze fixed? Listen, it's not a bad thing to have wealth and possessions and food provided for us if there are opportunities for us to worship God with them. But if that's the reason for our existence, that's sin. If we're living for that, That's sin. God wants us to use those things for his glory and his praise and his honor. You know, I want to encourage my, I got a couple college students, three college students here joining with us. Ethan had to take off, head back. He was fearing for the weather, whatever. So he's headed back. All right, my my eldest is headed back already. But why are you going to college? For a great job, wealth, possessions, money? Are you going because you're obeying God and you're worshiping God through your studies and through what you're going to do for him after you graduate? See, education in today's world and what we believe, we believe education is God. We we think if everybody was just educated enough, then, then the world would be a great place. No, no, education is just another tool that God gives us to worship him, to glorify him with. It is not the object of our worship. It will fail you. Because somebody's always going to know more. Somebody's going to always have a better resume. It's for the glory of God. Moses saw he was living for a greater reward. We live the way we live now. It's all God's. We want to worship him with all of it so that we live for the greater reward that is to come. And so that means we're going to suffer. We're going to endure hardship. It's not going to be easy. But it'll be good. Because when the king returns and has established his kingdom forever, the reward that we will get will be eternal, not fleeting and not temporal, but everlasting. That's what we fix our eyes on. By faith, we fix our eyes. We see the greater reward. 
Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the king's anger, for he persevered as though he could see the one who is invisible. Not just mistreatment now, not just ignoring King Zedek. Now he doesn't even fear the king's wrath and the king's anger. We don't get this as Americans. We don't have kings. We don't, we don't have this, this king who has all authority and all power. But Pharaoh was. Pharaoh had the right to take your life at, the, at a whim. And Moses like, I don't care if I'm hacking off my stepdad or adopted dad Pharaoh over here because God has called me over here and I must serve my God. So I'll endure wrath. I'll endure rejection for the sake of my God. I desire to obey God more than I fear man. I hope that can be said of us. God, teach me what, is your, what you want from me, where you're taking me, what you want me to do this day, how you want me to live. Lord, may I be in your word. I want a desire to obey you more than anything. And I don't care what men will do to me. I don't care what it will cost. I want to obey you. You know, Psalms 119. If you haven't read it lately, read it. The key phrase in there... I delight, they delighted in the law of the Lord. Over and over and over again. To delight in the law means that that we just have this thirst, this unquenchable desire to obey God, to know God and to obey him. I want to know your precepts. I want to know your statutes. I want to know what you ask of me, God, because I want to obey them. I thirst and I yearn to obey you more then I thirst to know what I want in this world. I want to know what God wants. I want to know where God's taking me. I want to know so much that, Lord, I won't, I won't get up from my time with you, Lord God, until I know, like, this is what you want for my day, Lord. I want to follow your steps today. That we're so passionate to know God and to follow him, to believe him. By faith, we need to desire obedience because we believe we want to obey. Now, I'm pretty confident we got some rebellious sorts in here, right? We got some folks that just, that that's their natural inclination is kind of push back a little from things, right? And, and we joke around about it. And we, but when it comes to God, it's really not a joking matter. Because to rebel against God is to sin against God. It's, it's not cute and it's not funny. It's scary. Because he's a holy God and a righteous God. And if we struggle with that rebellious attitude towards God, I just pray that it will become a regular part of your prayer life to say, God, please squelch that spirit within me. Let your spirit reign in me. Or I don't want to push away from you. I want to hear your voice and I want be- to, to follow where you're taking me with it wide open heart and mind. We should desire to obey God and not push against what he desires for us. Verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover and he sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. This is interesting. We're seeing a shift in the letter. And it begins here in the biface. Predominantly so far, the biface have been between God and an individual. Now all of a sudden, Moses' actions no longer impact him, but impact a kingdom of people, a large group of people. By faith in his obedience, Moses leads the people of Israel as a group of, of people called out, identified by God, to obedience and putting blood on the doorposts. This is the most significant, uh, I use the word ritual, but it's not the right word. It's the most significant festival. It's the most significant feast that the Israelites would continue to observe continually. Why? Because this event points towards Jesus. Moses protected God's people by anchoring them in the promises of God. 
as they were to repeat, as they were to celebrate Passover year after year after year after year. They were to be anchored in the promise of God that there is a coming Messiah. There is a coming sacrifice that will wipe away your sins completely and they will be remembered no more. There's a sacrifice to end all sacrifices and that's in Jesus Christ. And as they remembered this sacrifice, as they did this ritual year in and year out, it was supposed to anchor them. And I like that imagery of anchor. It's been used before in Hebrews, Hebrews 3, right, John? Hebrews 3, I think, was what you taught of, too. Hebrews 2, that imagery of anchored. It's it's just stuck in, and this is a place of steadfastness. And if you think about a boat anchored in the midst of a storm, it's getting tossed to and fro. But guess what? It remains in that position and that point. That the Passover was to serve as this anchoring point for the Israelite people to look to the promises that God has for them. Brothers and sisters, we look back and we, let, we look forward. Amen. We are also looking forward like the Israelites did. We look back and we know that that sacrifice has been met in Jesus Christ. Amen. And we're confident of that. And so we look forward to the return of the king to establish his kingdom forever. To celebrate Jesus for all of eternity. And it's seasons like this that can serve as anchoring points. That our hope is in Jesus Christ. Emmanuel has come and will come again. It's why we celebrate Good Friday. We want to anchor ourselves by wonderful traditions or ritualistic events in a positive way. Not in a legalistic way, but in a positive way that remind us the truth of Jesus Christ. As Protestants, we're lousy at this. We're really bad at it. By doing things, by creating rituals, by creating things, traditions that ground us in this. The feasts and the festivals were such a gift to the Israelite people. They weren't burdens. They were gifts from God to continually anchor them that they might be identified as the people of God. What do you do during this time of year to make sure that your neighborhood identifies you as a child of God? Are you hospitable with your home? Are you hospitable with your food, with your finances during this time? Do you freely give? Do you demonstrate to those that are around you that Jesus has come and will come again? By the way we live and the way we speak during this time of year. You know, we have this thing during our home where we would, like, watch Christmas movies. And last night we watched Deck the Halls. Have you all seen Deck the Halls with Danny DeVito and trying to be seen from outer space? Right? He puts enough Christmas lights. And what song are they singing there? Like, when everything is, is all the lights go out, silent night, holy night. And they're singing the verses about our Jesus. Let's... Point them to Jesus during this time of year. Let's provide protection to our neighbors and friends by continuing to speak the gospel. By faith, Moses, verse 29. By faith, he crossed the Red Sea as on dry ground, but the Egyptians tried it and they were swallowed up. How many of you all want to experience the power of God? In your life. For those of you who don't raise your hand, I'm hoping that you're just arms sore or something right now, okay? You don't experience the power of God in your lazy, lazy, lazy boy chair. You don't experience the power of God by doing what comes comfortable and easy. Where did Moses and the Israelites experience the power of God. The army was on their heels to wipe them out and destroy them. You got to understand what Egypt represented back in that day and age. Egypt basically represented the power of the world. Pharaoh was the most powerful king on the planet. And to have Pharaoh's army coming after you is like the the equivalent of saying all the nations in the world have just united together to come after us as a church. And we come to the sea and the army's pressing in from behind us 
And God makes a way through the sea. Walls of water. And you're walking across ground that isn't wet, muddy, but dry, stable, able to be walked across. And they look to the right and their left and they see these walls of water. How many of you guys would have liked to walk through that? I would have. I'm telling you what, you kidding me? Like, I would have been terrified. It's like that, like, terrified and ecstatic. Like, all at once, you're like, I'm terrified, but this is so cool. I'm freaking out, but this is amazing. I'm, I think I'm wetting my pants right now, but it's okay, because God's right here. Like, that kind of, like, a moment. And when they get to the other side, they have this ruckus party, and they're celebrating, they're singing praises to God. Why? Because they just walked through this wall of water and saw God's power. You know what? God is still in the business of demonstrating his power today. Do you believe that? But the only way we experience that is being obedience to God and getting off what's easy and comfortable to us and pursuing God into the difficult and hard things. Diving into deep relationships with one another that's scary and hard and and, and it makes you all nervous inside when you start divulging things and you start sharing with people you're not knowing if they're going to hate you for what you're saying but yet we we understand that God's working in the midst of his body drawing us together it's as we go talk to our neighbor for the first time and we're getting to know them and they're asking us like what do you do and like why are you going on I see you leave early on Sunday mornings why do you go and like you begin to answer these questions Or they begin to ask, why do you care about me so much? I haven't done anything for you. But you're like, well, because Jesus loves me, I want to love you the same way. And so that's why I care about you. I don't do it because I expect anything in return. You know, broke my heart helping a sister move here recently. And she wanted to give me money. And I'm like, no, this is what family does. We just help each other out and we we care for each other in these ways. And she goes, man, this is never what I've known to be a family. And it broke my heart. I love that this body is getting known for that. That just this body gives and gives until it hurts and loves and is there for people. I know if someone in this body was called upon today by their neighbor or by their friend to be there, you'd be there in a heartbeat. And it's not out of obligation, but it's because you love Jesus. It makes me so excited to be a part of you. We get to experience the power of God in those moments. We get to see God provide. We get to see God take care of things. We get to see God do amazing things, but we only do experience them in moments of uncertainty and faith stretching. By faith, goes on to say in verse 30, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. This is a pretty different by faith. Why? Can anybody catch why this is a different by faith? What's missing? A person. It's not by faith Moses, by faith Abel, by faith Sarah. No, no. By faith, the walls fell. This one had us, like, 45 minutes we were wrestling with this one. What, what's God getting at here by, by, by placing this here for understand? By faith, the walls fell, and they fell because they were encircled for seven days. What is going on here? Well, one thing you need to understand, that this has moved away from an individual to a community. This is the first by-community faith thing we've got going on here. The rest of an individual faith impacted, Moses' faith impacted the community, but this is the community together got up and instead of like cutting down large trees and creating ramming things to knock down gates and, and, and instead of like getting ready, getting those, those ladder hooks that you see in, in the, the, the ring series, the, the, the three rings, right? The Tolkien's books, you know, they're throwing those things up on the walls to climb up the walls. No, none of that. It was just walk around by faith. A community believed in God and his power and his might. And they didn't get it the whole way. I'm pretty sure they're marching around the the walls going, why are we doing this? Because God said so. Next day, why are we doing this? Because God said so. What's going to happen? I don't know. 
But God said to go do it, so we're going to do it. Because we've learned not to disobey God for a little while. And then the next day, you know, seven days they encircled the problem. What did Jericho represent? Jericho was the first battle, was the first thing standing on in their way to the promise of God. The promises of God lie ahead of them, but there was this thing in the community's way. And so what did the community do? They encircled this problem and they let God work. And they trusted God to take care of this problem so that they could get to his promises. Because that's what God does. God removes barriers for the people of God that are faithful to him. By faith, Livingstone Church, we as Christian believers, we go out and we deal with things that stand in the way to the promises of God. Things that God has for us, things that God will do in us, and God will deal with those things. If we stay united as a body of believers, looking to God to defeat the enemy. And that's crucial. Ephesians is this whole book about the unity of the body of Christ. And God continues to emphasize this. Like Jesus has destroyed the wall of hostility. The dividing wall that kept Jews and Gentiles from being together united in faith. He obliterated that thing. So we could be a united family of God. Brothers and sisters, God is calling us to be part of every race, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. United together in Jesus Christ. And there's been a lot of things in the church that, that we've done in the history of the church that has hurt our ability to be united. Yes. We've made bad stands. We've made racist stands as the church. And we've used scriptures to support them. That can't be a part of our church body anymore. We have a hunger and thirst to reach our Hispanic community in this valley, and rightly so. Because we recognize that the kingdom of God is made up of everyone. And so we repent where we need to repent. And united as a body of believers to say, we want to see the Hispanic community reach for Christ. Together, we're going to encircle that problem. Together, united in Jesus Christ, see God destroy barriers so that people may believe. I don't think we understand truly how important it is, the unity of the body of believers. See, some of you are trying to reach your neighbors and reach them. Imagine if they heard how disunified and angry Livingstone Church was at it with each other. Do you think that would hurt your ability to reach your neighbor? You see, our actions don't just reflect individuals. They reflect us as a body of believers. That if we're not united together in Jesus Christ, then it will impact us in reaching our neighbors, reaching our friends for Christ. It will impact us as we try to care for one another and love one another. Unity is absolutely necessary. That's why when sin creeps up in the body, that we look to deal with that sin issue and see that gone and done away with so that the body remains unified in Jesus Christ. Not divided. The last by faith. Is the most powerful. By faith Rahab. The prostitute. Did not perish with those who were disobedient. Because she welcomed the spies in peace. wish I could have been there when the author of Hebrews was penning that one. Like, we're tracking along, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know Sarah. We know Abraham. We know Enoch. Man, that guy just disappeared, went to be with Jesus. Like, and Abel, and we know Joseph, and we know Jacob, and Isaac, and Abraham, and we know Moses. And yeah, the walls came tumbling down. 
But all of a sudden, it's like the author of Hebrews just grabs hold of the steering wheel and jerks that steering wheel. And by faith, Rahab. She's the black eye. Or is she? By faith, Rahab, the prostitute. The author of Hebrews just says it for what it is. This is who she was. Well, this is what she did during that time that that she was identified by the spies. and, and, And she believed, and she has this, read Joshua 2 this week. Read it. Rahab makes this incredible statement about who God is and her faith in who God is. You see, all of Jericho had heard about what God had done in the nation of Israel. How he caused the nation of Israel to whoop some king's tails. Just destroy him. How they'd wiped out the Egyptian army by crossing through the Red Sea. How they had traveled through the wilderness for 40 years. And how God had fed them with manna. And how they had crossed the Red Sea. Excuse me, the Jordan Sea, Jordan River, across that time. And how God had caused them to walk on ground as well. And they said, our hearts melt. We're weak in the knees. We're scared of you guys. But only one woman and her family in that whole town had the right response. I want to follow God. You see, there's a lot of people in the world that fear God, but don't follow God. He's the big guy in the sky, or he's that, you know, the, the... God up there who, yeah, sometimes interacts with us and sometimes doesn't, you know, but, you know, we better like give him some kind of acknowledgement. No, no, no. Rahab here is saying this God is the one true God. And we're asking for the fam- my family to be preserved. And why is she asking? Because God is the only one that can save them. Don't miss this. She's, yes, she's bartering for her family because she loves her family and she wants to see her family preserved. But she's placing her faith in the right place. She's asking salvation from the right God. When the rest of Jericho will fall and be defeated because they continue to worship their false gods and be destroyed, Rahab worships the true God and is saved. Rahab is transformed from a prostitute, taken from this life of, of sin. And, and, and the reason I love this so much is because if you've done any study and the depth of what sexual immorality does and how it infects a person and gets at them, I mean, this was a deep sin that would have affected her whole life. And God takes her from this place of devastation and destitution, and he places her in the lineage of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you know what Jesus does? In Matthew chapter 1, he proudly says, that's my great, 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 great grandma. He's not ashamed of her. He's not ashamed of what she was delivered from. He says, My, this is what God does. God gets a hold of people and he transforms their lives and then he gives them hope. She was married to Salmon. And they had a son named Boaz. How does Boaz treat Ruth? Do you think the fact that his mother was a prostitute might have made him care for Ruth in the way he did? You see, God loves to transform people's lives and give them hope. Jesus Christ came to not condemn the world, but to save the world. Who have we condemned? I thank God for Living Stones Reno. Living Stones Reno has a powerful ministry to the sex industry 
in Reno, Nevada. They're not running away from those men and women. They're going towards them and they're bringing the gospel with them because they understand that God's in the business of transforming people's lives. And I want to encourage you this morning. You may have a child, a loved one, a family member, you know, a dear friend that you've seen gone off the rails and into a devastating life. Guess what? Don't give up hope. God is in the business of transforming lives and giving them hope. So we continue to pray for them. We continue to engage them. We continue to love them. We continue to invite them into our homes and care for them. And when they get a sexually transmitted disease, we don't say, oh, yeah, you deserve that. We weep with them. We mourn with them because we want more for them because of what God's got for them. When we see people in the homosexual lifestyle, we don't reject them and say, well, you, you, you're broken. You're... No, they need Jesus Christ just like we do. And the minute the wrongest thinking that we can have, wrongest not probably being a good word, but the worst thinking we can have is somehow we're better than Rahab. That's what we do as children of God. We engage the broken. Those without hope. Because we have the love of Jesus Christ, we can risk much. Amen. Amen. There's a lot of broken people in Chilean. There's a lot of people, broken people in colleges, in our high schools, in our junior highs. And they need to be loved where they're at. God loved Rahab right where she was at. When the spies came into her home, who knew what they came into? What acts were being done in that house? We don't know. But God delivered her from that and placed her in the line of Christ. He gave her a new hope and a new future. I love it. We got some young people on. Won't, they haven't given me permission to share, so I won't go too deep into it, but they're inviting Jehovah's Witnesses into their home and eating meals with them and breaking bread with them and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Why? Because they're trying to convert them? Sure, they'd love to see Jesus Christ come into them, but the only, my biggest answer is they love them. They're not believers yet, but that doesn't matter. They love them. And they're demonstrating that love by doing the hard things. Where have we drawn the line? God, I'll, I'll pursue you up to that point, but not past it. I'll share my faith up to this point, not past it. I'll, I'll care for others, but not past this point. You see, if we have the faith that is being described here in Hebrews 11, there's no boundaries to what God can do. There's no limitations to what God's calling us to, to pursue in a life for him. He wants all of us. And what more shall I say? For time would fail to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, also Samuel and the prophets. Through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, gained what was promised, Stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of sword, recovered from sickness, become, became strong in war, put armies to flight. Women received their dead from, for, from resurrection. For some were tortured, not accepting release. I want to stop before I get to the, you know, being tortured. I would love to experience all these things up to this point, right? Up to this point, it's sounding really good. Like, oh my goodness, becoming strong in war, recovered from sickness, quenched the power of line, you know, fire, stopped the mouths of lines. Like, yeah, yeah, I want, yeah, I'd love to be part of that. That's really cool. And then all of a sudden, he shifts it a gear. He drops it down. And then he says, so that, he says, some were tortured, not accepting release. So that to obtain a better resurrection, others were, were suffered, mocked flogged and even chains and imprisonment they were stoned and sawn in two 
murdered with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and caves and openings in the earth. And these were all commended because of their faith, not not receiving what had been promised, since God had provided something better for us so that without us they would not be made perfect. John appropriately labeled this the good, the bad, and the downright ugly. We have a funny way of honoring people in today's society. We honor athletes who are good. We honor speakers who are polished, well-spoken. We honor financial people that are extremely successful. We read their books. We read the self-help books that somebody who's really great at physical fitness has written or somebody who's lost a lot of weight. We find ourselves chasing all over this world different people who we, we seem to honor. But right here in this book, God seems to say, here's a group to honor. Here's a group that you should look to. Because they gave everything they had by faith, their life was completely changed for God and how they lived it for God. When was the last time somebody dressed up as Samson or Noah or Moses? The last time somebody wanted to emulate the life of one of these individuals. God is giving us a great picture in Hebrews 12 that will say, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, amazing individuals. Last Sunday, my wife, I'm going to close with this, led us in a wonderful exercise. We sat around the kitchen table, and she challenged each one of us by Asking us, since we all believe in Jesus Christ, how does that change how we're going to live for Jesus this week? And so we began to write our own by faith statements. I'm not going to share ours with you. But I challenge you to do the same with your families, in your life groups. Why couldn't your name be here? Why couldn't it say, by faith, Kathy? Believed God so much that she completely trusted her girls to God. By faith, Don daily went and ministered to his wife, not knowing when would be the last time he would see her. Why, why can't we write these things down? By faith. Because that's what faith does. It changes how we live. Amen. So I challenge you. Do it. Write it down in your Bible. Write it down somewhere on the back page or even in this text and say, by faith, I want to live this way. I want this said of me. You know, last week I said that if something was to be written on my tombstone, I thought it might be that he sought God. Or here lies Scott, he saw God. But no, I'd rather read, here lies Scott Morris. He lived by faith. That because he believed in Jesus Christ, it changed everything about him. It changed the way he parented, the way he loved his wife, the way he was a neighbor, the way he was an employee, the way he was an employer, the way he cared for others, the way he dealt with the broken, the way he, he got uncomfortable for God. I want God to push me into uncomfortable places because this isn't my home. And I think you do too. I think you have this desire within you because otherwise you wouldn't have endured to this series with me, right? Like you're getting this desire to the Lord. God, I want to be pushed for you. And I'm just loving so much that we have people in this church body that are like, 
We love Sun Cove and all the messiness that's in Sun Cove. And, and we just want to bring the gospel to Sun Cove. But we know that we're not going to get a chance to speak the gospel to people's lives until they first know that we love them. And so they're going to come into our homes and we're going to pray over them. And we're going to go to weird, awkward events at the clubhouse and hang out and do these like, but we're going to be present. And they're going to, and then guess what? It's already happening. People are like, hey, we're having a meal. And they're turning to say to them, hey, pray for us. I mean, this is, this, is, this is exciting stuff that starts to take place, but that doesn't happen if we're sitting back comfortable and doing what's easy. You see, I firmly believe God has begun a work in this body of believers that's going to radically transform this community. I know it. I know it. And it's not going to happen in some, I don't think in some huge big way. We're not going to hold a big meeting and it's all going to change. No, it's going to happen in individuals, reaching individuals, caring for individuals in rough, broken places, just like Jesus did. How many revival tent meetings did Jesus have? You might say the Sermon on the Mount, or you might say when he fed the 5,000, or you might, but guess what? How many of those, like when Jesus said the hard things, bye-bye now. It was the one-on-ones that changed and drew people in. By faith, what is God calling you to do? And change how you live. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. And that these individuals exemplified faith. Thank you for Rahab. I can't wait to meet her. Can't wait to meet Moses, Amram, and Jochebed. There's some days I could use some serious parenting tips from them. That's not what God's calling us to. He's calling us to, by faith, live for him right now. Father God, thank you that you gave us such great cloud of witnesses to reference, to look back and rejoice and celebrate with. Thank you, Lord God, that faith changes everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Now, I know y'all had, some of y'all had God's stories to share last week, but we had a missionary come and speak to us. And so um, hopefully you saved him up to come and share with us this week. So, how's God been working on <laughs> Well, just a couple of updates. Um, one with my dad. Um, for all my prayer warriors out there, I really appreciate you being concerned and asking. Um, he had another test last week because he found out that he has a hole somewhere in his heart. Um, not sure if it was a congenital thing. Um, my dad's 81, so... You'd think being in the medical field his whole life as a pharmacist, they would have figured something out. But um, he had what's called a bubble test last Monday, which is really kind of interesting. They actually inject saline into his vein to see where it ends up in his heart. Um, So we're waiting to see what the results are. If it's on one side of his heart, they got to just figure things out. If it's on the other side of the heart, it's not such a good thing. So... Um, but they're thinking that's why he's having his strokes. So um, the other thing is, is that um, my daughter's home for about another hour. So um, it's been wonderful to have her home and see her progress. Um, as you all know, or most of you know, she's not faith-based, but God's working hard on her. Um, She was with a bunch of family in San Diego this week, and one of the things um, she's struggling with right now is that she wants to take a year off before she goes to get her master's. Now, granted, my daughter's going to be 20 in March, and she'll have her bachelor's degree in May um, because she did Running Start, and so she's been working her tail off. And while it's hard, and a lot of people that take a gap year um, don't always go back. I know she will. And so I've, you know been praying and putting my faith in God that he'll bring her through this. Well, 
her cousin, who's about six years older than her, has her PhD in the same field that my daughter wants to go into, which is sociology. She took a five-year gap, and she went back, and she goes, I'm going to go tell my dad. And I said, so God is good. We all know that, but it's just amazing how it's giving her that peace. She doesn't know where it's coming from, but I know it's all coming from you guys. So thank you so much for your love and support. Scott, for your encouragement this morning to stand up. About two years ago, this sweet lady here came to me and said, Karen, can we get together and pray? And for two years, a group of us women have prayed on Tuesday mornings. We've continued to not only pray, but add a Bible study to it. And uh, so this last week, it was on my heart that we would get together for a lunch with three ladies from our, ch our neighborhood in Sun Cove. So we all chose a date. We prayed about it. And all three women are coming on Tuesday the 10th for a, uh, a luncheon and a time of sharing. So we just praise God for what he's doing in Sun Cove and continues to go to do. Um, so if you think of us, be praying there on the 10th of of this month um, as we share with these ladies. A little while ago, Scott had asked for anyone that had any more announcements. And I thought, well, I need to make an announcement, but I want to say something more. First of all, it's a God story of how God has raised up a ministry to the Hispanics here through English as a second language. I'm so grateful for it. I'm grateful that I've been able to have any part in it. And yet, um, looking out over the congregation, how many of you have been either have been or are part of our ESL team? Could you... Kind of raise your hand, and and there are a lot more. Um, and it's a ministry that uh, I'm so grateful. God is touching the lives of these people. We've not seen any conversions yet, but at the same time, we see a response to uh, the Scripture as we give it to them. And we're praying on a constant basis that God will uh, bring salvation to these wonderful people. And uh, the announcement is that we still need some more teachers. And if God lays it on your heart to uh, even in investigate the possibility of being one of the tutors, teachers, um, you don't have to know Spanish. In fact, it's a help if you don't know Spanish. Um, but if you feel that God is calling you to this, I would surely appreciate talking with you. And uh, we will provide training if that's what you would feel best needed. But uh, again, for the whole church, that we be praying for the Hispanic community, such a wonderful people. And... Uh, they need the Lord, and we need them. So uh, if I'll be around this uh, after service, if the Lord has laid it on your heart to be part of this uh, ESL team. This weekend, well, this Thanksgiving, Bob and I went to spend, spend Thanksgiving with our oldest daughter, who lives in Post Falls. And we haven't been there for Thanksgiving in, I don't know, years. <laughs> um, we've normally stayed here. And 
This is not because of Bob and I or anything. It's all because of God that we have three children who love the Lord. And it was interesting when we sat there, the first thing we had to do before we had Thanksgiving was Greg, our son-in-law, said, we always, our tradition is to say what we're thankful for. And the kids range in age from three to 16 and a half. And um, I remember when, and, and Audrine is nine, and she talked about how she was thankful that she had a Bible that she could read every day and study. And I thought, wow, at nine years old, that was her thankfulness. And her brother, um, Sawyer says, he's 12. He just turned 12 and he said, I'm thankful that I have parents that have taught me to love Jesus and how to study the Bible. And um, Bob and I, of course, are crying <laughs> because of this, because we know it was nothing because of us. It was all through God that we, we, we prayed for our kids, to, um, for their spouses, that they would, you know, when, when they were tiny, <laughs> when you think, why am I praying about this now? But we started when they were little, and they have all married um, Christians, and they've all raised, all of our grandchildren, we have 14, are all in the church, and um, they're all saved except for the three-year-old. <laughs> so, um, and, uh, and our one-year-old. But it's just neat to see that in your, in your family and to know that um, all the prayers that you put in are worth every bit of it. 